where am I? I'm in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I love 2 Timothy. I've told you that before. I just, it's just Paul just writes from the heart, man. And this is last letter, writing from prison. He's in Rome. He's giving Timothy some advice. And what I love about these next few verses, he's telling Timothy what he needs to do because he's gotten the back of his mind coming over in chapter 4. You, I need you to come here. So he's going to tell Timothy in chapter 4, Timothy, come here to me. But he's going to help him get some things straight. But the amazing things about Paul, I think, is that, we, is that while he, can, he understands his situation and he wants Timothy and he wants Luke, Luke's already with him, but he wants Timothy to get marked, is that Paul's always thinking about the church. He's always thinking about God's kingdom. And he has that amazing ability to balance out some certain things that we never give Paul credit for. I mean, I, I think sometimes we forget just what an unbelievable mind and grasp of our faith Paul had. And, and you're going to see that a little bit here. He says, you, therefore, in, in light of everything else, he calls me my son. That's a term of endearment. He didn't call many people my son. He's my son in the Lord, Timothy, my son. Um, this past week, I had one of my former uh, youth ministers back in from Laredo had a birthday. And I remember when I called him, he was young and he was raw. I can't believe he's in his 50s now. But I just, and I've always teased him, give him a hard time. I, and I can be brutally hard on him over the years. But I can't, but when I think about him, and seriously, he's just, he's like, not a son because he's too, too old. But, he, but there's an affection that I have for him to see all that he's done. What he's done in ministry far exceeded anything I could have ever done. And sometimes you just have, you know, those connections. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You need to be strong, Timothy. It's tough. It, where Paul is is tough. What Timothy's dealing with is tough. And I, I think sometimes some of the commentators really hammer Timothy a little bit about maybe him being a little bit weak and timid and the way things Paul write. I think what it really boils down to is Paul knows how hard it is. Paul has lived the hardness of the apostle's life. He's in jail knowing he's going to die. You got this church in Ephesus that he started that was doing well and now it's messing up. And he's just got Timothy over there. And it's not so much that Timothy is timid or overly weak or not. Paul wouldn't have him there if Timothy couldn't do it. But Paul knows the battle that Timothy faces. So he says, be strong. And then I love this, in the grace of Jesus Christ. The term in probably means your strength resides in the grace of Jesus. You don't need more grace. You just need more strength. One of the things, I don't remember where this came up somewhere. I, I guess it's, maybe it's my small group, I remember. There aren't levels of grace. That was one of the critical uh, issues of Catholicism during the Reformation with Luther and Calvin, is that you attain certain measures of grace. It's still that way in the Catholicism today. You earn grace through the sacraments. But clearly, grace is not quantitative. It is qualitative. You have all the grace that is there. God doesn't give you bits and pieces of grace. <clears throat> if you never, you know, notice when I pray, I don't really, I don't think I've ever prayed, give me more grace. What I'll say is, give me the full measure of grace that is already there. The grace is there. I need to experience the full measure of grace. Now, what Timothy did need more of 
is strength. And so the grace that he needs is there to provide the strength that he needs. Now, many times I have prayed, especially over the, sometimes in the past, last fall, I prayed a lot, God, I need more strength. I don't have enough. Got all the grace. You need more strength. Timothy, he says. Be strong. The things which you have heard, by the way, that grace is in the realm of Jesus Christ. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, like the gospel and other things he has taught him, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. In other words, Timothy, it's not only you. You've got to raise up some other people who will be faithful to deliver the task at hand. And we're going to see in a few weeks because you're going to come to me. Just as I left you there, you're going to have to leave other people there. Timothy, entrust the gospel and all that I've taught you to people. One of the things that I learned a long, long time ago, and I was very, I was very fortunate in my life that I had some really smart people teach me things. I wasn't smart enough to learn it right away, but I learned it eventually. Is they will always replace you. One day, from the moment I arrived here, I knew that David, one day you'll one day replace me. I'm either going to walk away or they're going to carry me away. Or you're going to you know, shoo me away. Something's going to happen. And one of the things that's critical, and, and that we make huge mistakes, is not entrusting to other people the ability to accomplish the work of the ministry of the church all the time. And all of us in our lives need to recognize that one of the things that we really need to leave behind are people to do the work of the Lord. All of you can do that. You can influence other people. I think one of the things that you, you want to be most proud of is to see the people you influence surpass what you've ever done. I mean, I, I think you should always want that. I'd want that. You know, I would love to see all of our guys on the staff. <laughs> now, Mike and I are an age that maybe he and I aren't going to be the ones doing it, but uh, Mike maybe. Maybe Mike thinks, say, hey, I'm not speaking for yourself. But I want to see all of these guys surpass anything I've ever done. I don't think they have the ability to do it. None of them are back there, are they? They're all there. See, none of them are back there, and that's what they get for not being here and learning. They all have the ability to do it. Except Brian. Uh, They all have that. Notice what he says. Suffer hardship with me. Paul's suffering. It's not that Paul wants him to be in prison, but he's saying the hardship that is the result of Jesus, you may have to suffer that with me, Timothy. You may have to go through that. And then he gives three metaphors, three illustrations. They're beautiful. Paul is great at giving illustrations that fit the moment. And I think one of the most important, it always cracks me up these days, that I'll hear guys preach messages, and they'll give illustrations. I'll hear guys Quote Charles Sturgeon, Spurgeon, or Sturgeon, either way. Like, why in a contemporary setting you quote Charles Spurgeon? I mean, unless you qualify why you're quoting him. Nobody knows who that is. I mean, you know, you, you, it, it, you know 
to be relevant in the, in, in the way she used it. Notice these three illustrations. She uses uh, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And everybody understood that world. Because everybody, every, most of them farmed at some point or had family that farmed. There was a time in our country where that same thing, either farmed, you had family that farmed. I had family that farmed. I know a lot of generations don't, but you do that. People, I had, always had people in the military in my life, you know. Uh, so those are good athletes. We had a lot of athletes. You know, I was one, so all of those things. He says this, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 4. No soldier who is actively serves entangle themselves in the affairs of everyday life. He doesn't let the minutia of life bog him down. Now, I, I've never served, uh, so I'll say that. And uh, some of you had. And I would imagine when you're deployed somewhere and you're in a hostile area, your family's always on your heart and your mind. But I would also imagine at some point you've got to block them out. I don't know. But I, I would assume, David, I would assume you have to do that. John, I would assume you have to do that. Some point, the best thing you can do is to not think about them at the moment. And, and really, what he's saying is, Timothy, it's not that the things of the world don't matter. But if you're going to serve in ministry, if you're going to do what I do, Timothy, you can't get sucked into that world. It says do that so you can please the one who enlisted him. <laughs> in other words, you do that to satisfy the demands of the one who called you to serve as a soldier or serve in his position. And I, I have known many times that for me, I, I do everything I can not to get sucked into the things of the world. If, if you notice, I don't get sucked into politics. It's not that I don't have a political view. I get hammered every political season. Why aren't you going to take a stand so people know what you believe? <laughs> I'm a middle-aged white Baptist pastor from Texas. I think they know what I believe. <laughs> Is there any confusion on that? <laughs> what? <laughs> middle-aged, Mike. Same as you, brother. <laughs> you and I are middle-aged. That, that target has moved up drastically. <laughs> Stop that. But, you know, you don't, you don't want to get caught up and distracted from the things that matter. So you, here's what matters. To me, in my world. I want to be sure God is honored. That involves a lot of things. And I want to see that people come in contact with Jesus. And I want to see that you are strengthened and able to do that. So what I don't want to do as your pastor is to get sucked into foolish controversies and things I don't need to. It doesn't help the purpose of the church. So you can get sucked in. And that's, that's what I mean. You shouldn't do that. You go do that stuff. We need Christians to do that stuff. But in your life, understand, don't let the world distract you from what God has called you to do. And if someone likewise competes as an athlete, he is not crowned as victor unless he competes according to the rules. Now, this doesn't mean follow the rules like of the game. So in other words, if you're, you know, in a, in a, in a, dad, a run or you're, you know, back then or they were wrestling or whatever it was, you go by the rules. But, but what it means is something like this. Do the training and do the preparation so that you can execute the task of the athlete. That is a hard task. You know, I, I look at guys who, and ladies who are world-class athletes. If you ever just read what they do, it's amazing. 
I've seen some things lately, you know, about the things, and I'm not a basketball guy, I'm more a football guy, but I just popped up on some places where Michael Jordan, who I used to watch a lot, and Kobe Bryant, and they talked about the hours they spent. One guy, one guy talked about being on the basketball court with Kobe, and Kobe, you know, in games was not passing the ball. In certain situations, he talked to him, and Kobe said, you don't spend enough time practicing for me to trust you with the game on the line. You don't sacrifice enough to be ready. I mean, you think about that. In, in the cause of Christ, our focused attention, like an, like an Olympic athlete training for what lies ahead. He said, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. The one who works, the farmer, hardworking, labors. Now, he's not talking about, sometimes people take this that you ought to pay, you know, the preacher. That's not what that's about. What it's about is that for the everyday person, and many of them came from a farming background, they would certainly get to enjoy the benefits of their labor, the fruit of the labor. And here, the fruit of the labor as a follower of Christ is to see people come to Jesus or their lives changed or to see things happen in their life. Very few things bring me as much joy as when we have our baptism services. And I get to see all those people be baptized. I don't do much of it anymore. I think last August I did once, one week I did like all of them, just, you know, whatever reason. So I can. And that, those were moments of joy because some of them were kids I knew. Some of them are people I didn't know, but I got to know. But just to know, hear their story. And that's why we do the videos. So you can hear a little bit about their stories. I mean, this last baptism, some of those stories were just like, wow. That's the fruit of our labor. Do you know 25% of all churches never see a baptism? Half of all churches, Baptist churches, it's one or two max a year. How miserable is that to be at a church where no one, comes to Jesus. I mean, wouldn't you want to see all that you do? You go see the kids in Awana and they learn their little scriptures, you know, and then you see all of that. Man, that's, we got a vacation Bible school coming up three months, April, May, June. Three months is vacation Bible school. Three months. Most important week of the year. Man, some of you need to sign up work in vacation Bible school. It's a life-changing experience. We're going to have more kids here than we've ever had at VBS. It's just amazing. Consider what I say. I love this. For the Lord will give you understanding everything. Timothy, pay attention. The Lord's going to help you get it. And he will. When you strive to serve the Lord, here's what I have found about Jesus. When I'm striving my most to be where he wants me to be, even if it takes time, I'll get it. He'll eventually get me there. Now, sometimes he don't do it the way I want him to or as fast as I want him to. But when I get him there, when I'll, when I'll just say, we're going to do it your way, Jesus. We'll quit doing it my way. We'll do it your way. He always gets you there. So consider that. I love verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. And, and the word is, it's not that he forgot him. In, in the Greek, the word remember means really to place to the forefront of your mind. 
Remember continually. Keep remembering Christ Jesus. Notice how he describes him. It's a beautiful way of describing him. Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, which he means the gospel that he proclaims. Notice what he says. He is the risen one, but he also is the Messiah. The descendant of David means the Messiah. They were at a time when Christianity was basically becoming Gentile. And in Ephesus, it would be prominently Gentile. Paul came from a Jewish background. Timothy came from a Judeo-Greek background. But there was always to remember, and even you and I need to remember, you know, we're, we're far from being Jewish, that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Christ that God promised. Not just to the Jewish people. He promised him to all people. Sometimes we get the idea that we forget and we'll say, you know, he's the Messiah promised to Jews. Well, he was the Messiah promised to David. And he was the Messiah promised to Abraham. He's the Messiah that was always promised for everyone. Gentiles are not an afterthought in Christian faith that's sometimes poorly and improperly, and erroneously and almost heretically taught. Christ came. And it was always God's plan for everyone. But he is the Messiah. So notice what he says. In verse 9. For him I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. And I love this part. But the word of God is not in prison. Isn't that amazing? Paul was in jail. Probably 64, 65 AD. Peter would be killed. Peter and Paul were killed almost the same time. And the outbreak of persecutions and killing Christians for the next 250 years would be really just take off. Paul said, I'm in chains. I'm in prison. But I love what he says. The gospel, the gospel is never in prison. The word of God. No one will stop the spread of the gospel when we share the gospel. There's a big thing today called apologetics. I love apologetics. It's called the defending of the faith. Uh, all the young guys are taking apologetics. When I was a young guy, we just called it doctrine. <laughs> okay, so they just, you know, it's basic theology, what they call apologetics. We did all the time. It's nothing new. Here's the thing. When you take the story of Jesus and you tell it over and over and over, it'll get the job done. You, don't have, you need to know as much as you can, but you don't have to be an expert. Now, I told you all a lot back in, in January. Be fluent in Jesus, right? Be fluent in Jesus. If you can tell the story of Jesus. I know sometimes people ask you questions, and you're not going to know the answer. I get it. And sometimes you say, I'm sorry. I don't know how to answer that. I'll do my best, or, you know, you can, you know I'll ask my pastor, or I'll do whatever. But just tell the story of Jesus. You know, I have, I have a friend who's reading, you know, a book about Jesus. And I just said, you know, if you have any questions, ask me. Sort of a resource, but it's not my book. I wish it was my book, because I would have got the 949 on the sales of that thing. But sorry. It's probably a better book. It's a bestseller. So, you know, mine's not. But thanks to you. But I'm sorry, that is funny, I think. Well, as I signed this, what was the really important point that I was trying to make? Oh, yeah. And Paul's just saying, Timothy, when all is said and done, you've got 
Jesus. Get Jesus to people. That, you may be in prison. It's okay. People may mock you. They may make fun of you. They may not like you. You may be harassed. Why well, okay. Just give them Jesus. Now notice this. For this reason, for this reason, for the sharing of the word of God, not because he's weak, not because he's not capable, not because of all the things people accuse him of, for this reason, I endure all things, including imprisonment, for the sake of those who are chosen so they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. The salvation that is only in Jesus and eternal glory, they may obtain it. He talks about the chosen, the elect. And I know there's all sorts of stuff about that. I deal with, you know, election and predestination all the time. I get it. And I've shared with you and talked about it many times. We share the gospel of Jesus so people can be saved for all eternity. They can, they can get that by faith. The people who come to Christ are known as the elect, the ones who God has saved, the, the marked out ones. As a follower of Jesus, we should never have a problem with that. It doesn't mean that God condemns or that God from the beginning chose some people not to be saved. It doesn't mean that. Everybody rebelled against God. We all chose that path. By grace, some here. And by faith, that it comes from grace, some of those who here believe. Our task is to make sure everybody hears. And not get caught up in all the fine detail of what election means or doesn't mean. We can get down to that, and there are times that, I'll, that I deal with the fine detail of election, and I don't ever have a problem doing that, and I'm perfectly comfortable with election and predestination. All I'm telling you is, every Sunday, I offer the gospel to people, and I share an invitation and ask them to give their life to Christ because they don't know Jesus, and today they can trust Jesus as their Savior, and that's all I know. And that's all I do. And I don't let my theology get in the way of doing what the New Testament tells me I must do, <laughs> which is preach Jesus and give people the opportunity to come. I don't let the things that I believe here, as a result of all that education I got and studying, affect what happens here when I know people don't need Jesus, don't have Jesus and they need him. And I want to make sure they have the chance to trust him. I don't worry. I don't worry about the doctrine of election when I deal with people who don't know Jesus. I don't worry about it. Now, when I deal with people who do know Jesus, and they may be getting a little cocky thinking they've done something all high and mighty for God, then I let the doctrine of election take full effect. That's when I'll you know, remind them. But listen. We just share Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. For the sake of the elect, chosen, I want to be sure they hear the gospel. Then he says, here's a trustworthy statement. And then he, and he gives four what we call if statements. The, if, the, if, the first part of the statement is assumed to be true, then the second part is true. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we die in Christ, we will live with him for all eternity. So baptism, pictures, Death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, it pictures our dying to sin and being raised back to a new life. If we have died with him, we will live with him. Secondly, 
If we endure, <laughs> I love that we will also reign with him. Christians endure. Christians persevere. Calvin, who some Baptists don't like, but who I love, had a beautiful statement. He said, the saints persevere to the end. Paul wrote that all over the place. We Baptists like to call it once saved, always saved. It makes it sound more homey and down to earth and like us. It makes us sound like we're not Presbyterian. Because we don't ever want to sound Presbyterian. And I get that. I don't want to ever sound Presbyterian either. But man, we, we have to know that in our faith, we endure. We don't give it up. You know how I know I'm a Christian in part? Because I know, you know, Christ saved me and all that. Because in, the, in my entire life, when everything was hard and difficult, I always trusted Jesus. I never once doubted or questioned. Not because of me. It wasn't my strength. You know why I never doubted Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit lives within me. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me doubt Jesus. And so I know because of that, I will reign with him for all eternity. But if we deny him, oh, wow, he will deny us. If we deny Jesus on earth, when we face Jesus, he will look at the Father and say, I don't know this cat. I don't know who he is. I may know who he is, but I don't have a relationship with him. And this is the, pool, this is, this is the thing. Jesus will give us exactly what we want. On earth, you don't want Jesus. Okay. For all eternity, you don't get Jesus. Because that's what you chose to do. <clears throat> you said, I'm going to deny you on earth. And he said, all right. That's an eternal decision. As you like. And then he says this. If we are faithless, not that he is faithless. <laughs> no, no, no. If we are without faith, that's okay. He remains faithful. Because while he can deny us, he cannot deny himself. He must always be true to who he is. The Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, will always be true to the character of God, which begins with holiness. I preached that message three weeks ago, three Sundays ago. Whatever God is, he will always be true. And God is just, and he will always ultimately deal with justice. And he's loving, he will always love. He cannot deny who he is. So yeah, this, it's just a beautiful thing that Paul writes, and then next week we're going to get into the, the, the next part of this chapter. But it's just reminding Timothy, Timothy, I'm in prison, man, and I know that's hard on you and people are saying things, but Timothy, Timothy, I'm here for a reason. It's a good reason. I'm here for the gospel. Like the soldier, like the athlete, like the farmer, I persevered and did what I was called to do. Timothy, for the sake of the gospel, this is why I'm here. This is why you must also do what you're called to do. People need to hear about Jesus. And our job is to help them hear about Jesus. And whatever happens, happens. But Christ will be faithful to us. And even in my death, I will soon be with him. Because I have been faithful to him. It's a beautiful message. There's all that there. Well...
That's all I got. Well, no, I have more, but I'm just not going to share it. 